Culture comms and cocktails as internal comms served straight up. So settle in, drink in the knowledge, some shaken, some stirred, and maybe even some with a twist, and enjoy the top shelf guests I have lined up for you. I'm your host, Chuck Ghost, strategic advisor at Social Chorus. And on this episode of Culture Comms and Cocktails, we have Jenny Field, director at Redefining Communications. Jenny, welcome to Culture Comms and Cocktails. Hi, nice to be here. Well, grab a seat here at the Culture Comms and Cocktails Lounge, and let's get started. Jenny, before I get into the questions, I did want to throw out here, I have yet to have to label one of these episodes as explicit, but I wouldn't be opposed to it if I had to. I'm just throwing that out there before we get, in, before we get into the questions, okay? I'm glad that my reputation somewhat precedes me. I will, there we go. I will keep that to a minimum, I All right. No, no, no. I'm, I'm excited in case it happens. I'm excited for it. So it gives me some better like street cred in the podcast community or something. Uh, but first off, congrats on being the new president of CIPR. And for the North American listeners, explain who and what CIPR is and also how cool it is to have someone who's IC focused leading the efforts at CIPR. So the CIPR is the Chartered Institute of Public Relations. It's been around for around about 70 years now, and it's the only chartered body that represents PR and communication practitioners uh, internationally. So we have members in all sorts of countries around the world, but we are predominantly in the UK. Uh, I became president in January this year. I've been a volunteer with them for about six years. So I've sat on council and board and other bits and bits and pieces like that. But it's it's quite cool for me to be we think the first internal comm specialist is the president because it just brings a really different slant, I think, to the role. I think it brings a different perspective, a different focus on the role of employees. And one of my big things this year is that PR is not just about media campaigns. You know, it covers so much more than that, about the relationship stakeholders have with the organisations that can cover public affairs. It can cover uh, media relations. It can cover all sorts of different elements of of kind of PR and I think that's really important when we think about communications and what we do. And when you're not the president of CIPR, you're the director of redefining communications. So tell me, how are you or we as an industry redefining communications? Um, so redefining communications was set up around three years ago and the aim really was to kind of shake things up a little bit as as a as an agency or a consultancy I want to challenge um, people in business to be better communicators. So for me, it's about redefining communications in the sense of the role that it plays inside the organization, how important it is, but helping people that are not communicators really understand the power of it and what it can do for their organization. And one of the things, we, before we hit record on this, we were talking and catching up, and I had mentioned that uh, or we both talked about how we're improving our health and focusing on health and wellness, which is great for anybody in any, any profession. Mm -hmm. One of the things I'm trying to do is also improve habits that I've created. One of those habits is reading. Um, I read online a lot, uh, but this year I have read and completed two books. That is two more than all of 2019. Way ahead of the curve. The book I am reading now, though, is called The Culture Code. And I'm reading it from the mindset of an internal communicator. Mm -hmm. And so I've been thinking through what role does internal comms play in a company's culture? Are we reporters? Are we archivists? Are we historians? Are we truth tellers? 
when it comes to culture. So what do you think the IC profession plays in a company's culture? Uh, so I think it, it has a huge role in terms of culture. And in the research that we did in as CIPR back in 2017, um, it was a, called Making It Counts. And it was looking at what CEOs thought of internal comms and the role that it played. And they said that they felt internal comms was somewhat responsible for the culture of the organization. And as much as that can make other functions feel uncomfortable, for me, culture is all about the way things work around here. So it's the way that we interact with each other. It's it's how we run meetings. It's how it's how just things get done. And communication is such a fundamental part of that. That for me, it has such a core role in shaping what the what the culture is and and how things work. So it's it's huge for me. And and not in isolation. It has to be done um, in conjunction with other functions. But it, it's a really big part. And and saying that the profession is responsible for the culture is that's a pretty big. I mean, accountable is one, responsible is another. What's really cool about the Culture Code book is it goes into the history of how certain cultures have developed. Not even just inside companies, but inside little organizations. Like it talks about like the Navy SEALs, mm-hmm. and an amazing culture inside the Navy SEALs. But it started because this one guy made this one decision based off of something he saw mm-hmm. these French soldiers do. And it's interesting to see how it developed. So I don't know that there's a right or wrong answer here. It's just, it's, a, it's something I see falling on the shoulders of communicators. And I think sometimes they don't know what to do with it. Mm, and I think there's something in what you've just said then around the leadership playing such an important role. And I'm, I'm starting to explore the four enablers of employee engagement and look at the the different elements of each four and the weighting of each four. And I'm wondering what the role of leadership plays in that and, and how much uh, leadership will change that engagement, whether it's on strategic narrative or integrity or whatever it might be. But I think the leadership does really dictate a culture quite heavily, especially if that leader is particularly strong, um, either one way or the other. It, it goes back to there's an, an older, let's say pre-Trump, pre-Brexit, episode of Freakonomics that talked about how important is the president. Okay. But they found, honestly, the president, whoever that person is, honestly, isn't really that important. I'm thinking that is going to change because Mm -hmm. of the weight that they have on the conversation, which is what I see happening inside companies. Yes. That leaders are determining the conversations that are happening, which does then impact the culture. They might not this isn't a vision values mission statement thing, but it's a, mm-hmm. what's the weight they're putting on some topics versus not other topics is having either a positive or negative impact on cultures. Yeah. And the way that they choose to communicate and, and all of those things signals so many things about how that organization will run. And I think that's where the internal comms plays a huge role is the term is sometimes don't always have a power over the, over the what they're saying, but you do have a little bit of an influence over the how. And yeah. I think that's it, where that impact is. Yeah. And the authenticity piece, I think that's where we can really play a role to help make sure that all of that communication is really genuine. Um, I'm not a fan of the word authentic, so I'll stick with genuine. You know what? Word I, you know what? I, I'm kind of the same. Genuine works. I like honest. It's, it's yeah. another simple word. <laughs> yeah, that's simple. good. Um, and one of the reasons we're talking now, not the only reason, but one of the reasons we're talking now is that you are keynoting at Future Comms. 2020. So first off, thanks for agreeing to do that and coming over to New York uh, to be a part of that event. And second, what will you be talking about at Future Comps? 
So I'm really excited to be coming over. It will be the first time I'll be talking about the model that I use to help take the chaos out of organisations by helping them communicate more effectively. And that's that's come from all the work I've done over the years working in-house and as a consultant. But there's kind of three steps to my model, which are understand, diagnose and fix. And I'll be talking about those three different elements, how they work together, how they link to um, data, leadership and people, and just talking about all of the things that kind of go around that to help us get underneath the issues inside organizations to really transform them. And not just organizations, you can do it at a team level and you can do it as big or as small as you need to do it. But it's about helping communicators have some of those skills to really get underneath those issues that we think are there, but we're not sure really what's causing them. So the example I often give is um, you can understand you've got a headache, but if you can't diagnose why you've got that headache, then you can't really fix the problem. So if you've got a headache and you just treat it with a painkiller, maybe if it was stress related, you could take some time off. So your fix, if you like, is going to be different depending on what the diagnosis is. So that's what I'm going to be talking about. And funny, you, you just told that little story at the end because the whole time you were talking, I was like, man, that sounds a lot like what a doctor, like a good, <laughs> like a good physician would do. They yeah. wouldn't just look at the symptom and treat it. They'd be like, okay, what is the, the root cause? What can we get ahead of? so that we don't have worse symptoms and that we're actually yeah. fixing the problem, not slapping a Band-Aid over the wound. Yeah, exactly. And, and what I've found is sometimes, you know, as a communicator, I'll be brought in at the right time. So we'll catch it before it gets really bad. Other times it gets so bad that, you know, the phone's ringing because we're, you know, it's really, it's really chaotic now and, and something's got to give. And that just means it takes longer to fix. Doesn't mean that it's not fixable. Just takes, you know, longer to do it because this is about people. Mm -hmm. um, you can't do that. You can't do that quickly. And there's probably even, you could even think about it this way because you've got my brain kind of scrambling through some <laughs> different scenarios of like, maybe this is somewhat timely with the coronavirus, but is there, are there viruses, cultural viruses that run through organizations where people feel a certain way, but only in that certain time because of the things that are going on, knowing that things will get better. So how do you give them those encouraging messages? Maybe that comes back to where leadership comes into play. Yeah, it does. And, and kind of matching your actions to what you're saying. And, and there's lots of stuff in there. I mean, we, I talk a lot about toxic people that feels very loaded as a term. So sometimes I call them blockers instead, because that's a little bit softer. <laughs> um, but, um, but there, there are elements like that. You know, you have to look at what's going on inside the organization that's, that's driving certain behaviors or, or certain things, because it's not, it's, it's hardly ever just what's happening on the surface. That's just a symptom of what's going on underneath. Mm -hmm. And in 2019, uh, you rolled out some really great, research so I'll, I'll let you direct people to what the research was and where to go find it and all that which is great what i was impressed by was one that you did your own research um not not because i didn't think you could do it jenny but <laughs> most people don't take the time and effort to do yeah. that so i thought that was that was wonderful so i want to know you, you can talk about the research and where people can go get it but i want to know like what did you learn from really digging into that project that you would like to pass along to communicators um sure so thank you for you know the thank you uh it was it was a great piece of work and i think when you're as opinionated as i am you have to stand up and then do something so i think that's why the research had to happen um, the research was about how to communicate with those workers who are 
predominantly offline, deskless, frontline, whatever term you may choose to use. Um, and it was called Remotely Interested, so people can, can go and track that down. But the, the reason for doing it was because there just isn't enough data out there to help us make informed decisions. So even if I think back to the model that I've built around that understand, diagnose, fix, you can't really diagnose something without having the data. So a lot of stuff is based on gut feel, and, and that's just not good enough. Um, when you're having conversations in the boardroom so the reasons for doing it were to enable people to have better conversations with with data and and i think the the stuff that that i learned in doing it was that it just rein, reinforced for me things that i already knew so i knew that line managers were really important um, for communicators i didn't know that they had an impact on every single channel and every other component part that was going on around communications in the organization. You know, I knew that relevance was important. I didn't know it was what was the contributing factor to noise inside organizations. So I think it's, um, I think the learning there is about taking the time to step back and really look at uh, what's going on to have the data to be able to drive the change that you want to make. Yeah, I will, I will admit, and this goes back to whether it was your research or the state of the sector research that Gatehouse has done. And we've seen this topic of line managers come up in a lot of different ways from a lot of different areas. And, and there's been this, I call it an echo chamber of sorts, where communicators have come to believe that the that employees want to hear from their managers first, that that's where they want to hear from first. And I've, I've always been like, yeah, m maybe, like m depending on the context and all that, but. It, what I think your research and other research shows is that even if it's not every message, they are the trusted source. They are the mm -hmm. ones that employees want to hear from. There was even an event that Jason Anthoin did uh, earlier this year in Atlanta called What Employees Want. Mm -hmm. And he had normal, I'm using air quotes, which is bad for yeah. podcast, uh, employees <laughs> on stage, and they all said the same thing. Like, even as communicators, we need to figure out how we can better empower those managers to understand the message, know the message. And, and I don't even think they sometimes realize that how much employees look to them for information, inspiration, guidance, whatever that might be. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think it's, you know, that's the whole thing for me is helping people that don't necessarily work in communications be better communicators because you can you can do that we can train them as communicators we can spend you know an, half a day with people and help them understand their communication style and how to change that um and and hearing from real people at Jason's event I caught up with Jason just the other day and we were talking about the fact that it so often at events you hear case studies from communications teams but when you talk to the employees that work there they have a really different perspective of what's going on and I think that we have to get we have to hear from those people we have to really be making a difference and an impact that's that's really making a difference and an impact in the organization and not just going after the shiny tool or going after what mm -hmm. we think is the right thing to do um and i think that's the challenge that we have we're pulled in so many directions as communicators in-house that trying to juggle all of that and and the budget and all the other things that go with it is really challenging you know, one of the things we talk about at Social Chorus are the big C communicators and the little C communicators. The big C communicators are those that people in their title with roles you and I had at organizations. Mm -hmm. The little C communicators are the people who are communicating all the time to various yeah. levels of the organization. So how do we empower them and trust them and give them the tools? 
to do it so that as communicators, it's not that everything has to flow through us. We're empowering them to do the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're right. It's, it's, it's also for me, if we come back to that culture conversation we were having earlier is you have to enable them to, to understand their communication style so that they can, they know what impact they're having if they're sending emails or they're doing team meetings, or they know how to take a company announcement and change that and make it accessible for everybody. You know, there's lots of different component parts to the communication. It's difference between the stuff that they need to do their job and the stuff that they want to know about the, the organization. And I think being able to help them look at all of that and have the, the skills around that is really important. Now, I think the last two times we've che- seen each other, I think it was Vancouver for IBC mm-hmm. World Conference. Yeah. And then, so you came across over here. Then I went over there to Birmingham for the CIPR <laughs> Inside Conference. Yeah. Uh, and then you're going to be coming back over for FutureCom. So we're doing a nice little leapfrog yeah. back and forth. It's good. Uh, whether it's future comms or any of these other events, how do you get the most out of events and what do you recommend communicators and attendants do to maximize the investment? Because I've seen, I've seen communicators view events very much kind of like a boondoggle. Like mm-hmm. it's a, it's a fun thing. It's a chance to get away and, and have some fun. Nothing wrong with that. I have seen some communicators who are like head in down note taking, maximizing that time. How do you maximize that time? So I think it's such a good question. And I think it totally depends on where you are in your career, why you're going to that event and and all of those different things. I'm I'm quite intentional about the events that I go to. I don't have, um, I have the same amount of time as everybody else, but I will prioritize it in the right ways to help me do what I need to do. So I did see you at IABC last year. I'm going back to IABC this year. So I'll be in Chicago in June and that's because for me it that conference allowed me to switch off from everything else whether it was the time difference or whether it was the fact it was over a few days I maximized my investment by the fact that I was completely present during Mm -hmm. that time so yes we did have a really good time and there was lots of drinking and lots of uh (laughs) lots of socializing around it but it was also I did so much writing and so much thinking and so much strategizing while I was there that that for me is how I get the the most investment is being really present, really focusing, having a, a notepad where I can sort of draw and scribble in at the same time so that my brain can go off in all the different directions and, and connecting with people often online to then meet them while they're there is, is, a, is a big thing for me. So with something like future comms, I don't think I know that many people going. I think Jason's going, so I'll know him. I know you and you're going, but I will be tweeting and talking about the fact I'm there so I can connect beforehand. Somehow that makes it then easier so that you're connecting with people and you've sort of sort of met them before um, but I think you've got to think about why you're going and what's important to you because this there are quite a few events out there so it's making sure that you're going with a purpose and then making sure that you're getting some learning from that and speaking of going to events and tweeting and sharing you and I can both be a little noisy online <laughs> whether it be LinkedIn or Twitter True. and because of that we do end up interacting with a lot of different communicators from a lot of different sizes, organizations, mm-hmm. and different parts of the world. I'm obviously in North America. You're you're in the UK. What do you see as a difference between communicators in North America and Europe, just from your experience? Or do you see any differences between the two? Um, I'm seeing less and less of a difference, actually. And I um, and we we touched on this when we when we spoke in Vancouver as well. And I I, I don't see a, a, a huge difference at the moment I 
IABC, what was very interesting to me was the the breadth of topics that were covered at that conference and how busy some of the kind of basics were, if you like. So where there was sort of sessions on some of the basics around internal comms, they were standing room only. But equally, you know, the sessions on blockchain were standing room only. So it, it, there isn't anything for me that's necessarily saying, oh, it's really interesting that everybody was going to this, so everyone was interested in that. And that's been my only real exposure to um, kind of that side of the world. So I don't, I don't see there being a huge difference because I think it's easy to be in a bubble of, of noise on social media. I think people are struggling with understanding people. And I think that's the same wherever, wherever you are. And the time it takes to, to do the stuff that people want to do. I think that we're still trying to do things too quickly than what is actually mm. achievable. I, I used to, when I'm thinking back maybe to five years ago, get pretty frustrated with the internal comms profession in its lack of use and not just presence, but use of LinkedIn and Twitter. Mostly from my standpoint, there's, there's a ton of free education and free resources mm -hmm. and learning and all these things that are developed that are shared on the daily, specifically even for the niche of internal comms, but that's improving. Not, it's not perfect yet. And I think that's knocked down a lot of, geographic and cultural barriers mm. between countries and professions is that people I see interacting and I'm thinking, how in the world do those two people even know each other? Yeah. But they've connected because of some other reason. And, and we are bringing this profession closer in, in a more holistic manner. It's not just the IABC community and then the PRSA community and the IOIC community and CIPR community. And those seem to operate independent now it's the people that are the center of it yeah. and the organizations yeah. are very much secondary to that. Yeah, totally. And it's the reason why, you know, Rachel Miller, Dana Leeson and I set up the IC crowd on Twitter, you know, years ago now. And, um, and that was the whole reason was there must be a way to connect people that can just share ideas and, and help each other. And I know Social Chorus are, are supporting the Big Yak, which is on the 6th of June in, in London. And we have people traveling in for that and, and connecting, but also connecting on the day who aren't there because the community is on Twitter. And that is, that's lovely because the whole point of that is we can all help each other. Um, and that's, that's what we should be doing as communicators. Now, we, before we were talking about boondoggles and drinking and all that kind of stuff, we've now gotten <laughs> to the drinking question. Jenny, <laughs> we've talked about culture. We've talked about comms. Podcast says culture, comms, and cocktails. Uh, Jenny Field. So what is your favorite cocktail? And the better the story, the better the cocktail. Um. So I do have a favorite cocktail, but I am notoriously awful at choosing cocktails because I always think they sound amazing written on the menu and then they arrive and they look beautiful, but they taste awful. So I'm always one to kind of shy away from a cocktail. But if I'm going to order one and I will often order um, an espresso martini. Hmm. Now, being in the UK, <laughs> is do you have a favorite spot to get that espresso martini? um no I'll, I'll take that anywhere i am really okay. and most places will do them now so um so they're quite easy to to come across which is which is lucky because for a while they were quite hard to find but um no they're quite quite plentiful now which is nice and before we started recording today earlier on twitter we got into a little whiskey conversation <laughs> we did so I know that you are interested in trying to explore the world of whiskey. I recommended coming across and doing the bourbon trail. So maybe the next time you come to the U.S., just a couple yeah. hours from me, Jenny, we could go hop down, <laughs> do the bourbon trail. 
I'm in. I so want to like whiskey. It smells lovely. People look cool when they drink it with ice. But then I drink it and I just think it tastes terrible. So I'll work on it. It, it, it It's something that's worth working on. <laughs> I had to work on it. I had to work on it as well. Okay. But how um, long did you have to work on it? Because I feel like I've been working on this for a while. You could, you know, you could start with a whiskey sour. That's okay. a that's a safe a safe one to begin, and then you eventually work your way to a good old fashioned or Manhattan, and then those. Okay. Then then that's legit. Then you're legit. Okay, give me a few more years. I'm sure I'll get there. All right. Well, Jenny, <laughs> thanks again for coming on the podcast. Always great having conversations with you. Great connecting, and I will see you in a few months at Future Lives. Awesome. Thank you very much for having me. If you enjoyed what you heard from this episode and want to check out others, find Culture Comes and Cocktails on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. And when you do, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any future episodes. This has been Culture Comes and Cocktails, internal comms served straight up. Thanks for listening.